We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. And we are going to look at the circumstance of a woman from Canaan, a Syrophoenician or Syrophoenician, a Gentile, who is going to appeal to the Lord for her child for her daughter. Follow with me as I read chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, a casual reading of this passage could raise some wrong ideas and even blasphemous ideas, especially in our overly sensitive culture. For, and I will make that uh, value judgment. Overly sensitive culture, okay? Yes, we can say there are elements of culture that are wrong and uh, sinful, and uh, in this case, overly sensitive. For example, was the Lord rude and unkind when the woman was talking after him and he didn't answer? Uh, Was he mean or racist to speak about throwing crumbs to the dogs? Did the woman really have faith or was she, she just kind of clever in how she responded to the Lord to get what she wanted to get? Part of the problem is that the text doesn't tell us the background of the woman herself. It it does tell us enough that we can figure out some things about her. But another problem is that we're not there, nor do we live in that culture, that same culture. And so uh, when you study the scriptures, one of the things you have to recognize is there is a, a gap between when it occurred and how it occurred and where it occurred and what culture it occurred and us. Uh, and it's not a small gap. I mean, if you travel from, you know, where we are in 2022 to another country in 2022, there's enough culture shock that it's amazing. Language, you know, how people think, how they express themselves. I just ran into another example of that uh, just recently. You know, we, we in the West, at least in some circles, are quite interested in timeliness, that's a cultural value, and, and that's good, but 
if you, and if you go to somebody, if they invite you for dinner at 6 o'clock and you show up at 6.30, that would be kind of rude. But in other cultures, if they invite you at, say, 6 o'clock and you show up at 6 o'clock, that would be rude because maybe they're making last-minute preparations and you don't want to embarrass them by showing up while they're making the last-minute preparations. So there's a different value set. That's in from this year to this year, just in two different places. Imagine 2,000 years, different country, different culture, different language. So we don't understand all that's going on in the culture at the time. So we can't definitively say what would be offensive or not in this kind of situation. How do we know how they interacted with one another and what the cultural customs were? We just don't simply know. So we have to leave it at uh, what the text tells us. And of course, we come to the text with the rock-solid presupposition that Christ could not sin. He did not sin. He knew no sin. And so there's no reason for us to get uptight about those kinds of matters. In verses 21 to 22, we see the awful circumstances that the woman comes from. It says, Jesus went out from there and departed from that region to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you just imagine in your mind, I hope you know biblical geography well enough to be thinking of Israel, think of the the Dead Sea, the Jordan River running north to the Sea of Galilee. Now in your mind, go uh, directly to the uh, west toward the sea. You'll come to Caesarea. Go directly to the north along the coast. You come to Tyre. Go directly farther yet along the coast, you come to Sidon. And uh, the scripture uh, doesn't tell us you know, the, all the details of the Lord's journey, but we know from looking at a map that if you go directly northwest from the Sea of Galilee to the city of Tyre, it's about 40 miles. And if you go from Tyre to Sidon, that's another 25 miles. So the Lord is, is not just doing local ministry like within a five-mile radius. He's going quite a distance for that time of world history um, and, and on foot and so on. Now, a woman from that region found Jesus there. She was a woman of Canaan, it says uh, in verse number 22, a woman of Canaan came. And we know from the parallel passage in Mark chapter 7 that she was a Gentile, which we knew from her being a Canaanite, but she was a Gentile, and she was a Syrophoenician, okay, from Syria, Phoenicia. Uh, I did not look up the geography of that, frankly. It doesn't really matter for our purposes, but it's certainly not Israelite in origin. So she was a Gentile, clearly by birth and culture. How they knew all of that, you know, how they, the disciples and the Lord, knew that, how Matthew knew that is not told to us. It seems maybe there was some conversation uh, after the initial encounter with the woman or after the Lord pronounced uh, her daughter to be okay, to be well, and, and they you know, found out who she was and, and for posterity's sake uh, were able to put that down into the gospel. All that's fine and good, but... The bad part comes when the woman says that her daughter is demon-possessed. How she knows this, we are not told. But we can be assured, since Scripture says so, that it's true. You've often, maybe you've wondered, how do you know if somebody's demon-possessed? You know, you've seen some strange cases out there in the world, you know, especially maybe in uh, 
in um, other countries, perhaps, you know, the places where the witchcraft and voodoo and those sorts of things are ongoing, and you just wonder, like, hmm, that's just too weird. It, it doesn't tell us, and the scripture gives us no definitive characteristics of diagnosis that we can, you know, go and say, well, that person has a mental illness, and that person has a demon, and that person has, you know, some a need of surgery, and so on and so forth. We don't know that. But in any case, it's true. And she is obviously desperate to find help for her daughter, as I'm sure you would be, wouldn't you? If your daughter, son, was severely demon-possessed, you would be desperate to find some help for her. Now, she doesn't say that the daughter is demon-possessed. She says severely demon-possessed. Now, demon-possessed is bad enough. Severely so? Youch. This is a bad case. Um, this is awful. Now, we can only speculate as to what the girl's symptoms might have been. Uh, it doesn't tell us, but uh, it was obvious to the mom. But there were other situations in which we could use to surmise some of the potential characteristics of demon possession. First of all, <clears throat> I have seven listed here. Just go through them briefly. Maybe this daughter was like the uh, man from Gadara who was in the tombs, and I just put one word next to his description, violent. It says he was fierce. We know that he had a problem with, you know, wearing proper clothing and, and uh, socialization, shall we say, but the, the thing that was really notable about him was that he was violent. They could not chain him. He would just break the chains asunder, remember, so there's violence involved sometimes in demon possession. There are some uh, in like Matthew 9.32, there was a, a fellow who was demon-possessed and unable to speak. Now, this may be that it was just the, the inability to speak was an additional symptom that he had, not caused by demon possession, but for some other reason. But we don't know that, and it very well could have been, because the Bible says that when the Lord cast out the demon, at least in a couple of cases, the man who was mute spoke. So... Indeed, it could have been the case that he was unable to speak because of the demon. So perhaps this daughter had that problem. Um, there was another fellow who was blind, Matthew chapter 12. The Lord healed him. He was possessed by a demon that evidently made him that way. Uh, there's a case after the Lord comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. By the way, just in terms of my Bible study, I was thinking, you know, I thought that occurred in Matthew 8 when the Lord came down from the Sermon on the Mount and he healed somebody. But that wasn't the demon-possessed man. Do you remember what that fellow was? He was a leper in Matthew 8. After 5 through 7, it was a leper who came to him and, and, he, and he said, if you will, you can make me clean. And he, he was willing and he cleansed him. But after Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a, a young fellow who is demon-possessed, and remember that the disciples who did not go up to the Mount of Transfiguration could not cast out that demon, and they asked the Lord afterwards why they couldn't. He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Well, <clears throat> the characteristic of this young man who was demon-possessed in Matthew 17, 14 to 18 was that he would sometimes throw himself into the fire, or he would throw himself into the water. And so the way that I characterized that in my notes was sometimes demon possession exhibits itself in self-harm, self-harm. We see that in mental illness today, people who 
harm themselves in different ways. And it just, it doesn't make sense to us. That's why it's a mental illness. But uh, in the case of a demon possession, that would be the case. Uh, Acts chapter 8, 7, there's a case of somebody who is demon possessed. And as as the apostles were working with him, this person was shrieking. That could be another, you know, the, um, the language, uh, outbursts of bad words or, or uh, sounds, screaming, things like that. Um, Acts chapter 16, this is the number six characteristic. Perhaps this young girl who the mother is coming to Jesus to help find help. Perhaps she was involved in some kind of fortune-telling, sorcery, divination. Remember that young gal who was being used, trafficked really by people in Philippi who followed after Paul and, and was fortune-telling, made her owners a big prophet, and she, uh, the, he cast out the demon from her, and then their hope of profit was gone. And then in Acts 19, this is kind of one that I, I kind of chuckle at when I read it. It's some sons of Siva who took it upon themselves to call in the name of Jesus on this demon-possessed fellow, and the demon-possessed fellow says, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And he leaps on them and overpowers them, seven men. And so I put for that characteristic superhuman strength. So demon possession could result in violence, inability to speak, blindness, self-harm, shrieking, sorcery, or fortune-telling, or superhuman strength. And perhaps there are other manifestations as well. Uh, Demons don't care particularly to make someone flourish. They are like their boss, the devil, who is all about killing and destroying and lying and, and all of that. So perhaps the daughter had some of these things. So what's the Lord's initial response to the woman who's come to, to ask him for help? The woman was persistent. And in verses 23 to 26, we see the Lord's two initial responses. But he answered her, not a word. Now, that seems very unkind at first reading. And then she was evidently still persistent, and so the disciples became annoyed. And they said, you know, do what she wants and send her away or just get rid of her because she's annoying. It doesn't tell us if they had care for her or if they were just simply annoyed. Make sure you check yourself about that. The annoyance can overtake the, the compassion that we should have for people who are in need. I know there is annoyance. Uh, we experience sometimes that in certain cases, and it's like, oh, you know, the, the persistence uh, going after it again and again. We have to be cautious about that. Well, uh, let's note a couple of things. First of all, the Lord's mission was centered on the Jews. He was specifically, look at verse 24, it says, specifically sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he instructed his disciples the same. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent out the disciples two by two and he said, don't go into the the way of the Gentiles Don't go to any Samaritans, but only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Most people forget that when they read 
and they, they, they miss the significance of that in the flow of the book of Matthew. You know, they just think about, well, the Lord said, Matthew 28, go to all the nations, and, and we're big on that, right? We are, but uh, early on in his ministry, it was a Jewish-centered, Israel-centric ministry. By the way, uh, that Matthew 10 and this one in Matthew 15 are the only two times the house of Israel, that phrase, occurs in, the Matthew, in Matthew's gospel. It only occurs four other times in the New Testament, twice in the book of Acts and twice in the book of Hebrews, only six times total in the New Testament. So that's first. The Lord was, his mission was Jewish-centered. And, uh, and you, I mean, you should, I guess we should know that, but sometimes we probably forget it. What was Jesus doing in his ministry? Well, what John the Baptist was doing, saying, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're offering you the kingdom, Israel. Okay, and so... Um, the Gentiles weren't going to have kind of anything from God until the kingdom came. They weren't going to be uh, in any kind of good position until Israel got straightened out with the Lord. Now, the Lord obviously knew that Israel was going to reject that, and he began the church age, and that's what we're in now, and he's focusing on winning Gentiles to himself and creating kingdom citizens from them. But for this point in time, it was a Jewish-centered ministry. Second of all, uh, we're noting here the Lord knew what was about to happen and that it would provide a great illustration of strong faith for his disciples and all later Bible readers. So he crafted his response to the woman's persistent asking, I suppose you could say something to be like the Heavenly Father. I mean, we've prayed tonight, we've often prayed, but he doesn't respond. We get no answer from heaven necessarily immediately, sometimes not at all. We have to trust God in that. She had to trust the Lord that he knew what he was doing, even if he didn't answer. Okay, So he's going to provide this great illustration of strong faith by making the woman wait just a little while. And he's going to elicit from her. Do you know what that word elicit means? It means to draw forth from her an expression of her faith. So the woman continues to come, verse 25. She comes and she falls down before him. She bows before him low to beg of him to provide what she needs, to provide what she is desiring and asking for. So she continues to persist. So the Lord answers. By the way, we should continue to persist in prayer um, and not give up. Pray and not lose heart, not faint, Luke 18, 1. Continue to appeal to the Lord for whatever it is that we believe we have need of and let God adapt our desires to match His providence for the circumstances. But then the Lord answers to her this second answer. First time, He just says nothing. Second time, He answered and said, verse 26, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, the word translated here, little dogs, is one word in Greek. And uh, some English translations, uh, well, actually all the other ones that I looked at, have just say dogs. They don't say little. And I think the little is an attempt to soften the blow of what Jesus is saying to this 
woman. He's not necessarily, they, the New King James is suggesting, he's not necessarily saying she's like a dog, like a, you know, a German Shepherd or Doberman Pinscher or Pitbull, you know, some nasty dog with big teeth, you know, looking at you. Uh, she's just like, you know, Brother Mike's dog, a little, you know, tiny thing that, but that, had, that, bar, that dog packs a big bark, you know that? I know Mike is probably smiling right now if he's watching. It's, uh, it's a funny thing. But he's, he's, the, the New King James is suggesting is a little kind of house pet. And that's really what the word is, but it can also mean just a dog generally. Um, so we don't have to necessarily try to soften what the Lord is saying by, by uh, adding a word there, little. It doesn't really do much anyway. Um, so it can be a small dog. It can be a, a larger you know, like a wild or stray or mongrel or whatever, but um, it's just a dog, okay? The figure here that the Lord uses is clear enough. I mean, he's saying you don't feed animals with the food that's meant for people, right? If there's t- kids at the table, you feed the kids. You don't feed the dogs. If, I mean, if you have a limited amount, the dogs can go do their own thing. The kids need to have the, uh, the food, Um, As it relates to the situation in which we're in, the Lord is saying that he could not take the power, the miracles, the teaching that he was doing, that's the food, for Israel, that's the children, and apply it to the Gentiles, they're the dogs. You with me? Okay. Israel is the children, the the food is is the Lord's ministry, his power, miracles, teaching, all that. And uh, he can't can't just focus on, on the dogs, on the Gentiles. It's not what he's there to do, okay? It wasn't for the Gentiles. Remember, the Lord is offering the kingdom to Israel and they're to come into a right relationship with the king. And until that happened, the Gentiles were out of luck, so to speak. Now, about dogs again, how is it? It's sort of coincidental, but interesting to me that just this past Sunday, we were talking about dogs, right? In a different context, beware of dogs, beware of the mutilation, Beware of evil workers. Well, those, you know, those uh, were the false teachers, not man's furry best friend. Okay? Here, though, it's not a reference to false teachers. It's just a reference to non-Jews. I know that has <laughs> it's so overloaded with racial connotations today. We can almost not read it for what it's worth. It's, and we're building into it all kinds of meaning already when we think about it. Now, this may have had a reverse effect on the woman than what we think. You know, our thinking is, oh, she would have been so offended. She would have just walked away in disgust. No, she didn't because she wanted something for her daughter, and she didn't care what it took to get it. She believed in the Lord. Instead of offending her, it was just what the Lord, when, when the Lord ignored first and then said what he said about the, 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 the food on the table and the dogs, That was just what the Lord knew would be ready for her to express her faith. In other words, to elicit that expression of faith. Perhaps the Lord knew that the woman understood that Jesus' ministry was to Jews primarily. Maybe that woman came to him knowing he's a Jew and he's focused on the Jews. He's not going to think anything of me, a Gentile, because he doesn't have anything to do with us. She understood perhaps what he was talking about and and was ready to express faith in that context and become yet another example of Gentile faith. 
You remember earlier on, the Lord said of the centurion, he's asking for help for his, his, his servant. He, Don't come into my house, just say the word. And the Lord said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. And he goes to Nazareth and he preaches to the people there and he says, you know, there were a whole lot of Jews back in the day when there was the famine, but God sent Elijah to none of them except, in, what, Naaman the Syrian and the, the, the woman from, um, what was that woman from? The widow's oil. I can't think of the place just now. Anyway, the Lord you know, uh, talks about those two women, um, or two people rather, two Gentiles is what I mean. And uh, they, were, they were upset at the synagogue in Nazareth because the Lord is saying, look, there are people in Gentile land who believe more than you do. And here's yet another example of a Gentile who is believing and ready to express her faith in that context. Perhaps in her mind and that of her general culture, Jews were dogs to them. But now she was coming to one of those Jews for help and learning that salvation comes from the Jews. John chapter 4 and verse 22. We close with two more verses, 27 and 28. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Sometimes you wish you had wit like that. Talk about thinking on your feet. Quick, 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 quick. She was really sharp. She responded along the same line about the children's food, saying that the accidental, some of you, the small kids might say, purposeful tossing of crumbs overboard, you know, to the floor to get the dog to come and eat them, uh, you know, that those are enjoyed by the dogs. That is to say, she agrees with the Lord's point. Your mission is to the Jews, but other people can benefit from your work as well. As the cup overflows, to use another illustration, we can lap up some of the excess. We can benefit from some of the excess. And I think we could pause and profitably remind ourselves that salvation does come from the Jews, my friend. And the only reason that we can have eternal salvation is because God chose for himself a people to give them the oracles of God and the service of the temple and out of whom came the Christ so that we could have eternal salvation. That salvation comes from the Jews and the overflow of the fatness of that root, Romans chapter 11, uh, is such that we benefit from that, isn't it? You know, if you, if you, like I've told many times, covenant theologians, you're, you know, you're cutting off Abraham from the tree and saying he's done. Well, when you cut his branch off, you're sitting on that branch. You can't be doing that. You know, you're sitting on the branch, there's the trunk of the tree, and you're sawing away saying the church has replaced Israel. Yeah, well, you just went down because you sawed off the branch that is what holds you onto the root, the fatness of the blessing of God the covenant program. We were afar off, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The two have been made into one. Well, anyway, I don't want to get into too big of a picture about that because the woman wasn't you know, thinking about all of that really. But she's saying, look, other people can benefit from your work as well. How true. Based on the Lord's declaration then in verse 28 that she had great faith, I believe her insight extended beyond mere cleverness or wittiness. She's expressing that she knew Jesus could heal and would do so for someone who believed in him. 
She must have heard of his miraculous works in the South Country, where she was, Tyre and Sidon up north, and knew that no one else was able to help her. And it's almost as if the Lord could not help but reply to her with an affirmative answer. When the Lord encounters that kind of faith in a human being, He answers their inquiry. He answers their request. Let me say it the other way around. What did he encounter in in, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 58? He's preaching in Nazareth after those parables, and it says he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, right? We talked about that at some length before. When the Lord is faced with unbelief, not many mighty works are done. When the Lord is faced with belief, it's almost like he has to respond favorably because in his constitution, he loves that kind of thing, and he wants to bless it. And here it almost, instead of blocks his work like Matthew 13, 58, unbelief, here belief compels his work. And so if you and I would compel the work of God, we should believe in him. We should trust in him. The woman was a Gentile, but she had great faith. I want to thank the Lord that he receives Gentiles as well as Jews. Faith is the basis of acceptance before God, faith and faith alone, not ethnicity or race or any other human characteristic like wealth or social status or anything like that. So remember that. Uh, God receives Gentiles and he does so on the basis of faith, just like he does today receive Jews on the basis of faith, not on ethnicity at all. We want to reemphasize that in our minds. The world is, is one flat race when it comes to all of this, and God sees humanity as either in Adam or in Christ. That's it. So, But we are encouraged by this Gentile woman who shows her faith. Do you have faith like she had? Oh, no, you're not facing uh, an epileptic child or a mute child who... Uh, is, is thrown into the you know, self-harm or violent or superhuman strength or whatever. But maybe there are some other things where you need to exercise faith in your walk with the Lord. And I want to encourage and strengthen you to do that tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help me and help these that we would be like this Gentile Syrophoenician Canaanite woman who although was initially turned away, persisted until she received that for which she sought. Lord, help us to be like faith, have faith like that. Lord, may you pour out your compassion and love and care on each one here tonight and those listening and those who will listen yet in the hours and days ahead. May this message strengthen them because it's the word from the Lord, not the word from this pulpit or this pastor, but from the book. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.